Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. Hey, Modern Therapists, a brief content warning. We're talking about law enforcement, which includes violence and trauma. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about all the different clients we see, the things going on in our worlds, and in case you've been under a rock for the last several years, working <laughs> in this field, things have kind of looked at law enforcement in some various different ways. There's been a lot of outcry from a lot of our socially justice-minded therapists about things like where law enforcement dollars go, how they could be you know, used for social services and a number of other things like that. And we have kind of, you know, broached the subject a little bit from time to time here, but we are joined today by Cindy Doyle, licensed professional counselor supervisor to talk about some of the intersections of mental health and working with law enforcement and just kind of like reminding us that they're people too. And <laughs> that maybe having a clinical touch is kind of a, a good thing in these places. So thank you very much for joining us, Cindy. You are so welcome. I'm really excited to be here. Excited to have the conversations. We're so excited to have you and you're a friend of the show. So it's great to be able to have this conversation. I think it's an important conversation. But before we jump in, the question we ask everyone is who are you and what are you putting out into the world? That's a big question because I would say I'm multifaceted. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So what I'm putting out into the world is I would say I'm putting ripples out into the world. That's why I usually say, because I feel like I believe like the things that I do kind of send ripples out and help people to do better things. So who I am as far as what I'm putting out in the world is I have a group private practice in Denton, Texas. And so I have some clinicians that work for and with me. I have a company called Code for Couples, which Code for Couples is for law enforcement, mental health, and relationships. And the goal of that company is to help law enforcement and their spouses to stay connected and resilient. Um, it addresses mental and emotional health. And so kind of the benefit of that is to keep law enforcement healthy and hopefully help create healthier communities. And then I also have my other side gigs as far as Cindy Doyle and some coaching I do as far as that end. So <laughs> that's all the things that I'm putting out into the world. <laughs> that is quite a bit. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into working, not just with first responder mental health, but with law enforcement mental health as well? Yeah. So it started mostly because I live it. 
and have lived it. My husband is a police officer. He retired after 21 years last year, last March, end of March, he retired. And I went with him through that career, birth to death. So I met the guy and said, what do you want to do with your life? And did the counselor (laughs) thing and thought law enforcement would be great. And we were just really naive about the impact of the career that it would have on him individually, me individually, and us as a couple. And so I saw this impact. I lived the impact. It was part of my story. And as I dug in to figure out why the heck and heck wasn't my Gottman stuff working on my own relationship and why is, why is ours different, I realized that there was a giant hole out there as far as information. And so while I could impact people in my office, I wanted to make a larger impact and impact the community as a whole. Saw a lot of problems within law enforcement, mental health wise. We saw a lot of anger, a lot of cynicism, a lot of divorces, people getting in trouble on the job, internal affairs. And it was just kind of like, what's going on and how can I help them? I originally thought, oh, I'm going to start with just first responders. And then I realized there's a plethora of people that are just law enforcement and they have some unique challenges. You know, everybody loves a firefighter. Pretty much people hate law enforcement. Like nobody's like, yay, the cops are here. So that (laughs) everybody's like firefighters. Yay. Um, So, so they have some unique challenges and some unique perspectives. And so that's why I wind up focusing on them. I think it's interesting because I, I know I've worked with like a law enforcement officer once. And so I know that I am not sure that I have any clear sense of of what would be the, the special unique issues. But I'm sure given you're identifying the gaps and that kind of stuff that you probably have stories of therapists that have not done such a great job. So one of the questions we ask usually towards the beginning of the episode, just to help people learn is what do therapists usually get wrong when working with law enforcement professionals? I think that usually what comes out wrong is the misinterpretation of cynicism would be number one. I think the not understanding hypervigilance as it relates to law enforcement. I know I was under, I was aware of hypervigilance as it relates to trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working with trauma clients, but it's different when it's law enforcement and the impact, the biological and psychological impact of hypervigilance, not understanding the cynicism where, where that comes from. I have a couple of different messages that I use. One of them is officers are trained to react and not to respond. And that has to do with the conditioning that they go through on the job and in their training. Another one of my messages many times is what keeps them safe on the job negatively impacts them outside of the job. But those things don't turn off. So it's not, you know, many times as counselors, I think we experience this too, as mental health professionals, we come home and yes, can we quote unquote, kind of turn it off, maybe put it to the side. But then sometimes we have those cases or those clients that just come with us, right? I don't know about you, but I definitely have woken up in the middle of the night about a client or a nightmare or taking on their stuff, right? Yeah. And we're trained how to kind of put that aside or to put that someplace else. And law enforcement is not. It all comes with them. So many times there's a misinterpretation about control and seeing it as, is it abuse? There is that idea of, okay, well, what I say to my law enforcement folks is it's like, well, the only difference between murder one and manslaughter is intent. 
So the intent might not be there. There might be conditioning that causes them to be clipped short, seem like control freaks, OCD. And there's reasoning and underpinning for that. I think another big mistake that mental health clinicians make is assuming that everything is trauma and everything is PTSD. The most diagnosable condition for law enforcement is anxiety. Most of them struggle with anxiety. And so instead of jumping to conclusions and looking at everything as trauma, sometimes it's just about the anxiety, the lack of control that they have in their lives on the job and how that spills over into their life as a whole. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Discussions over the last couple of years and that are continuing to go on and, you know, any of the news stories du jour of law enforcement that, I mean, try to keep this episode evergreen here. Just pick whatever's the most recent one that's painting (laughs) law enforcement (laughs) in a negative light. Been going on since 2015. Oh, I'm sure it's gone on for hundreds of years before Mm -hmm. that, but... Mm -hmm. It seems to be heightened since like 2015 and with more and more of these stories making it to the news on the internet, these kinds of things. What have you seen as far as the impact on law enforcement mental health? Oof. Okay. A lot. There is a, you have an occupation that is already hypervigilant. They're already aware of what they need to be doing and, and what's going on around them. And that hypervigilance helps to keep them safe. And when you add, I'm I'm just going to throw in cameras in there, cell phone video, right? We'll just throw that in there. When you add cell phone video, now I've got something running in the back of my head and going, oh my gosh, am I doing this right? Am I doing this perfect? Which gets in the way of being able to do the job, maybe even helping. They are more reluctant to sometimes try to engage because they're afraid of failing. They're afraid of being in trouble. They don't feel safe, not just their physical safety, but emotional safety. Uh, Many times they don't feel supported by their communities. They don't feel supported by their departments, by their administration. And so that winds up impacting, you know, it's that whole thing of like, would you really want to go to a job every day where you were potentially hated or that you had things thrown at you? Or that, hey, because there's a increased awareness of the potential of danger if you're encountering law enforcement, that there's going to be some pushback. Their jobs are already hard as it is. Like any situation, pulling somebody over can result in death, just depending upon 
you know, the situation, right? So they're already putting themselves at danger and risk. And when we look at what's going on now, the big impact, a lack of compassion satisfaction. So there's like research day. This was 2019. This research study was done and it said four out of 10 officers that were surveyed. So 40% struggled with compassion satisfaction. I saw a recent survey of 2020 and it said 65% of officers either daily or weekly think about quitting their job. So you have a situation that they're not happy. They're going to a job where they're not valued and appreciated. And that is grating on anybody's mental health to not feel value or appreciation. It creates increased anxiety, increased depression. And then when you have the increased compassion satisfaction or the decrease of compassion satisfaction, then you run into a greater potential of having greater impact of trauma because now I don't really make a difference as opposed to seeing like some post-traumatic growth that can come from that situation. So there's a lot of different impacts that are happening as a part of that. And also families are being impacted. It's not just law enforcement. It's also spouses and kids that are making the sacrifices right along with them. In hearing you talk, it seems like there's a really big problem. I can't say it more eloquently than that, because there's there's a lot of things on these cell phone videos that are abuses, that are things that mm-hmm. are are pretty egregious and awful. And mm-hmm. obviously, there's been cries to defund the police or mm-hmm. abolish the police. I mean, there's been a lot of things where there's a spotlight on the times when officers get it really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think it's obviously that that's been painted across everyone. And and I think that that speaks to, you know, kind of what you're talking about, all these folks going to their jobs and being universally hated it seems hard to kind of sort out how do we how do we actually make a difference in this because there's such a huge divide there's such anger and frustration and reactivity and all of this stuff and i i know that that kind of out in in progressive land we're talking about getting rid of the whole institution to to a certain level or providing other resources and trying to to demilitarize the police or whatever it is. But I'm curious from from the folks that you're talking to, like what is what is the the perceived solution from the law enforcement side? How do they take in all these defund the police or or putting resources elsewhere or decreasing the resources to law enforcement so that other resources can be funded? I mean, how is that being taken in? How is it being taken in the idea of defunding? Is what you're asking? Defunding. Yeah, defunding. Yeah. Or or even just like an alternate solution, because I think people are grasping at straws because it clearly is problematic for all who are involved. So let me address that first, because I would say that I don't think that law enforcement as a whole has a solution except to like, there's no like, oh, you know what? We should just do this and recreate. You know, the, <laughs> the solution within law enforcement is... Let's educate. Um, For years, there has been, there's different philosophies in policing. And one of those is is community service policing. And Mm -hmm. so community service policing, depending upon the community, depending upon the administration, many times is a good way to interact. You'll see the cell phone videos or the videos out there of like officers playing with playing basketball or playing 
football or engaging with the community. And that's what community community policing is. Community policing is the idea of, I know my community well enough to know who is potentially has a mental health situation that I need to be aware of. Sure. My husband's department, like they knew where people lived and they knew, okay, by the way, this is, I don't know, Steve, that's my cat's name, by the way. Um, This is, (laughs) this is Steve and Steve has, he, he's going to say some things. He's going to come at you aggressively, but that is because Steve sometimes doesn't take his medication. Mm-hmm. And knowing those things about our communities can really help. That's a big part of what's happening in law enforcement as far as it's a push for community policing. Education is what they know to do. They do have escalation of use of force. And usually when we have situations or when there's situations that escalate, there is a use of force policy. You know, some of this is policy, some of this is training, some of this is philosophy. Some of Mm -hmm. this is law enforcement changing culture because culture is changing there. We have younger generations that are coming up. And I had a recent podcast with my husband (laughs) where I call it was called the crusty curmudgeon because (laughs) because there's this joke within law enforcement about the crusty old guys and how the cynicism just breeds and it causes a disconnection. There's a lack of, hey, there's an empathy or what can we do? It's a fine line between staying safe and trying to think through what the situation may be or how can I handle this differently? And when you have individuals that want to go home to their families, that split second instantaneous decisions that are happening there in the immediate moment, it's easy to sit back and to analyze it and pick it apart. But when you're in the moment and you're wanting to survive, sometimes that really overtakes some of the training that's involved. So many times it's repetition, 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 where you have something that winds up getting into their system. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I know law enforcement is trying to address it many different ways. They're needing to report on many different statistics regarding the calls that they're making, regarding the interactions that they have, regarding the populations that they're pulling over. That's been going on for 20 years, though, I, or at least 15, because I know almost the whole entire time my husband's been in law enforcement, he was required to submit those statistics to the state, and the state had to stay on top of them. And if the if a department seemed to be skewed one way or the other, the state went in and reviewed what was happening. So there's a lot of different ways to address it, but I would say those are kind of ways that the law enforcement community is addressing it. So I think that explains kind of how law enforcement is trying to improve from within. But I think there's still this notion of defunding the police. And it's a dramatic way to talk about shifting funds to other resources. And so I think there's, you know, we could talk about the labeling of it another time. (laughs) But what is the response to adding resources and or decreasing funding? So Law enforcement, my my experience with talking to law enforcement about that is that resources are always welcome, that if there's going to be added resources, that's great. So the pluses are, okay, you know what? Great. You want to go deal with that mental health person, that mental health homeless person on the street so I don't have to? Fan-freaking-tastic. That is fantastic. Then you have these situations where I've heard about 
mental health professionals going into like domestic violence situations. That causes concern for, for law enforcement because things like domestic violence situations turn very quickly and are actually some of the most dangerous for law enforcement. So there's some concern about putting civilians at risk and having to go in and clean it up or go in afterwards after it's already escalated. I think the other kind of negative really aspect of defunding is that crime doesn't stop. And so what's happening now is in the perception and in the defunding, departments aren't able to be staffed. And so staffing is down. Uh, Law enforcement are being required to work overtime. And so they're tired. And so now we're dealing with a tired, overworked employment situation where they're not able to recover. They're not able to recover from the hypervigilant state and incorporate maybe some of the resilience that they need to have to be clear-headed and go back on the street. So as far as defunding and, and rerouting of funds, it winds up impacting on the negative side as far as like training costs, employment, trying to get people in there to fill slots. And then there's also the other side where it's like, okay, well, that clears our plate for doing other things. So I think there's pros and cons to it. And I think that's what I hear from law enforcement. There was a lot of fear initially, which was everybody's going to get laid off. And what's happened instead is that there's an attrition. Attrition within law enforcement is huge right now. People are leaving in droves because they don't want to stay in a position where they're not appreciated. And so then there's this problem of not being able to fill those slots. So pros and cons. Moving this conversation a little bit from kind of the systemic issues, which I think a lot of the complaints that we're talking about here are, and maybe moving this a little bit more into some practical advice for the work that a lot of our audience does in working one-on-one with people. What are some of the issues that bring law enforcement officers into therapy? You know, what brings anybody into therapy is really what it is. It's the presenting issues I don't think are any different with law enforcement than it is for anybody else. So stress, a lot of times is what you hear, stress not feeling, reacting in anger. So maybe emotional dysregulation, being disconnected from their body. If you want to call that disassociated from the body, a lot of times I say checked out from the neck down because they've just compartmentalized, 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 and they don't know how to let that out and to integrate it. I would say marital issues, you know, just like every couple they come in and they're like, we have problems with communication. So some of that intimacy related issues for sure. There is, I would say, stress, anxiety, depression. Sometimes it can be addiction of some kind, and that addiction can just be, you know, scrolling social media. It can be video games. It can be drinking. There's also sometimes an acting out. So they're acting out behaviors that they don't necessarily, that are not consistent with who they want to be. So it can run the gamut. It's not... You know, it's just like any other client that comes in that there's a great deal of, there's a breadth to the presenting issues that they come in with. You talked earlier that therapists often will overdiagnose trauma, and you actually didn't mention that as one of the things that bring folks in. Can you talk more about that? 
many times there's an assumption Mm -hmm. that, oh, well, with everything that you've been through or seen, you must have just a buttload of trauma. And my husband will say, you know, there's kind of like a stair step is how he looks at it is like, not every incident is a critical incident and not every critical incident is a trauma is what he likes to say. So critical incidents can be anything depending upon the person. So law enforcement many times are the first people on the job. They're the first people on the call. They're the ones who show up when there's been a suicide call, somebody blew their head off Mm -hmm. and there's brain matter and the person is still breathing. Right. So they're the first ones on the call before the paramedics, almost always. And so they're the ones that are going in and seeing this. So many times they do have trauma. Many times they also can disconnect and they're like, yeah, but many officers have a growth or resilience mindset where they can say, oh, I'm so grateful that that's not going on with me. Mm-hmm. What they don't maybe understand is that I always say, like, it's like a tiny little, it's death by a thousand cuts right? So you get all these tiny little cuts. And so sometimes we assume, I think as clinicians that like, oh, that would be traumatic for me to see when in actuality, they've seen it so often that there's a desensitization. Now, does the desensitization impact to them? Sure. It also doesn't mean that every situation is traumatic to them. That unfortunately, once you've seen something or done something time and time again, it can not impact you the same way. So I'll spin this around and go for mental health. Like many times we hear horrible stories and people are saying like, this is my trauma. And we might even be like, okay, because, because it's like, okay, we've heard something similar. This isn't shocking to us. Our system is able to regulate this. We process through it because it becomes normal. And so there's some normalization there for them in regard to trauma. The trauma situations many times are something that they connect with personally. What I hear many times from law enforcement is it's the personalization of a call and not the call itself. So it's the fact that the kid that was in the pool was wearing the same pajamas as their child has in in the drawer. It's the fact that my husband goes and he goes to a suicide call, but what impacted him was the dog that was stuck there for five days all alone. It's the impact of hearing a mother cry for the child. And that is many times the impact of the trauma and not the call itself. They can kind of desensitize and depersonalize the calls many times. But once there's something that's unique about that call that connects it to them personally is usually where the trauma is. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I like that you're driving this home because I think that a lot of what I've heard in and across my career is that working with law enforcement, working with active military members, that there's cultural aspects that you need to understand. And I don't think that I've heard it so concisely put like you've just put it there as far as like, and even drawing the comparisons to our own profession. In preparation to be in a field like law enforcement, 
what kinds of trainings do they go through to help develop some of that resilience? So it's not just people like, oh, go go get traumatized until you're desensitized to it, and then you won't react to the stuff anymore. So that has definitely changed over the years, but it's not enough. It's not enough because it needs to be consistent. I would, you know, I've been I've been walking this walk with law enforcement for 21 years and for a 22 years now. And for a long time, it's just been kind of lip service. Go through a class. So at the academy, you go through a class and you learn about mental health. You learn, but many times it was mental health about working with individuals with mental health and not like your own mental health. I would say probably in the last five years, we've really been, or they've really been more focused on, oh yes, crap, there actually is a problem here. When we have a suicide rate that's super high, law enforcement suicides are declining because we are paying attention to it more, but it's still, you know, because of the stigma of mental health, it's not reported. The stigma of mental health prevents people from reporting their own struggles with mental health. So it's the changing of the guard that has to happen. My husband, like I said, was the crusty curmudgeon. He was the one that was like, he and I would argue about mental health. And so it's as people are coming in, new, new individuals are coming in and they're saying, hey, mental health is health into the field that the culture is starting to change in regard to mental health. They're starting to say, I had an officer recently in February that came up to me and said, hey, I know that I can get mental health leave from my mental health, but how do I do that and still feel like they're not going to look at me negatively? Mm. And I'm like, I, I don't have an answer for that yet. So part of it is the culture. So right now, many times it's just a training program that they go through. Peer support is really becoming more and more well-known in the community and in the industry. So, and I can tell you, like, I had two requests this week to say, hey, I've heard about you. Can you help me with peer support? And I'm like, no, but let me refer you to people that can. So peer support, and you may already know this, but peer support is the idea of having individuals in the field that are trained in psychological first aid or in CISM, which is the critical incident stress management. And having those two, then these teams of peer support are available for a department or available for a county or a community. And so peer support is becoming larger and larger and officers are becoming more demanding of having peer support within their departments, which I think is fantastic. And it makes somebody available. And it before it used to be more just like ministry and now it's actually officers. I work pretty closely with Oklahoma City. They have an amazing peer support team and they are actually helping to train others. Retired officers are starting to train on peer support. So there's a shift in the community to provide those types of services, which I think are more helpful than just a training class. Grant programs. I'm I'm associated with a couple different departments and they have grant programs. States are offering grant programs to incorporate mental health services that are not tied to insurance. And that is making it more usable. So I work with a couple of PDs and I see people telehealth and I submit a bill to the department and I say client number one, 
client number two. Mm. And I put the number of sessions and that's all they know. Yeah. So that to me is, is starting to shift the tide and starting to help officers understand that their mental health is important. And it's shifting the crusty curmudgeons a little bit around. And I was super proud of my husband because he actually became known as the guy that had the open door. People found out what I did and they would say, hey, LT, do you have a second? And he would listen to them and he'd say, let me see how I can get you help. But he was the first one in his department to do that and kind of have an open door and say, I won't judge. When we look at kind of getting the mental health of law enforcement officers more addressed, you know, like that they, there's more mental wellness, there's this peer support, that kind of stuff. Like, how does that, you know, kind of pulling back into the system's perspective, how does that shift the culture? How does that shift how law enforcement interacts with the community? Because it feels like this is a positive thing, but it's also like, hey, there's, there's systemic issues. There's there's a lot of things where, I mean, we didn't even talk about bias and prejudice and, you know, all the things that I think a lot of times are really important that law enforcement is able to look at. How does this actually address this? Because I think there are folks, I think, who are, are, if they're listening this long to this episode, are still doubtful that there is a place for law enforcement. Sure. And I would even say, well, so the cycle, I think I'm going to go that direction. So when you're looking at law enforcement. And I'm going to go also to what Kurt said a little while ago was the idea of resilience. Mm -hmm. So the cynicism that happens within law enforcement is like, it's just toxic, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're dealing with negative people, bad things happening all day long, your world is going to be like, oh, everybody is out to get everybody else. Everybody is a predator. Everybody is, you know, has an angle and that's their mindset. Mm-hmm. We do that too, right? We're like, oh, everybody's abused. Everybody has trauma. Yes. So this idea of the mindset is really important. So if we can incorporate the idea of mental health and resilience within that, so helping them to kind of expand their world. And what I many times is it's the humanization of an officer, right? So my goal as a clinician, my goal as somebody who wants to impact this community is to make officers more human, not to be seen as more human. I'm really careful there. It's that they become more human, that they understand that there is good as well as negative in the world and that everything is not bad and that I can step back and have gratitude. I can step back and have an appreciation. I can step back and have empathy, which by the way, is very dangerous. If you're on the job for a law enforcement officer, I'm going to go around and feel everybody's feelings. No, that doesn't work. But I can step back and have empathy for a community, for an individual, for a situation. My husband talks about having courage to see it a different way and humanizing situations. And that if officers can work on having that humanization of the world in a different way, It can bring a different attitude, belief system towards situations. Now, once again, I can't say like it's going to impact systemization. Is there always going, are there always going to be problems? Sure. There's always problems in any career, in any profession. I can't say that there's not a better way of doing things. All I can do is impact the officers in a positive way to make them become more human, for them to become more vulnerable, for them to understand that there's 
good in the world as well as bad. And that changes their mindset and the way they interact overall with their families, with the community and on the job. For clinicians who've come from communities that have disproportionately been affected by law enforcement interactions, do you have any advice for those clinicians? As far as advice, I don't I don't know that I have advice. I mean, I would say their experiences are valid in the sense that they're are departments that are struggling and there are departments that are needing to turn things around. So I wouldn't want to invalidate any of that. I would maybe encourage them to do what we do as clinicians, which is meet people where they're at, to understand their stories, to understand maybe where they're coming from, maybe not to excuse it, but to see, okay, well, that's where that is. Where are my boundaries? What do I want to do? How do I want to impact? I always encourage people to advocate. I would encourage, like, advocate, find out how you can help. How can you get involved? That might be a way to change the system, but also continue to impact and support your own community and whatever they're struggling with. So it's it's hard for me to just give some a blanket advice in regard to that, but I think it's just different in every community and people are struggling I'm really hearing you say that when we can move back from the cynicism, when we can have peer support and training and and community policing, that there is a, a human to human connection that can overcome a lot of what we've seen. I hear that. And I also feel like there is such a long way to go. And so I just wanted to honor that because I think that there are a lot of folks that have been deeply hurt by law enforcement that probably are having feelings about what we're talking about here and don't see a hope for that. And so I just want to acknowledge that this is a a very huge system with tons and tons of different people in it, tons and tons of different philosophies and all those things. And, you know, your, your hope and the, the way that you're looking at it gives me some hope that there is some possibilities for, for systemic change. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that this is way more complex than we have time to go into. And I just really appreciate that you're sharing kind of the human side of of law enforcement with us today. Where can people find out more about you and your work? In regard to law enforcement, my website is Code for Couples, which is number four. So Code for Couples is where I am. I also have a podcast. I also have Instagram and Facebook under that. Or if you're interested in any other things that I do, then it's uh, cindydoyle.com. And we'll include links to that in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. Follow us on our social media and support us through our Patreon or buy us a coffee. And let us know what you like about our show, what you would like us to explore. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Renoy and Cindy Doyle. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com.
You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.